This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by User Interviews. User Interviews connects researchers with quality participants who earn money for their feedback on real products. So there's high demand right now for software developers and engineers to provide feedback on products that are being created for developers. So if you want to help shape the future of the tools that we use in the data, data visualization, data communication field, this is your opportunity to provide that feedback to product developers. So you can go in and you can sign up for free. You can apply for your first study in other five minutes, and they will send you updates for surveys that are going to be related to the work that you do. So you can actually customize what opportunities you're going to see from user interviews. Now, most studies, at least what I've seen here, are less than an hour. They pay over $60 for an hour worth of work. Some studies are more the focus group, the one-on-one -on -one conversations, and those pay even more money up to several hundred dollars. So there's some opportunity here, not only to help shape the future of technology, but also to earn some money for your time. So if you're ready to earn extra income for sharing your expert opinion on software development, engineer, hardware, software, head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Hope you're having a good start to the year. I hope you enjoyed the last few episodes of the show. We've been dealing with some interesting pieces on different data visualization books. And today's actually going to be no different because on this week's episode of the show, I am fortunate enough to be chatting with Lilach Mannheim Lorio, who I've been chatting with a lot lately because I've been thinking more about how we use a field critique data visualizations and the different types of ways that we critique data visualizations. And so Lilach and I have been emailing back and forth. She's been so kind and generous to take a lot of time reading through this very long post that I'm publishing today, along with this podcast episode about the field of data viz critique. And Lilach has a book coming out uh, later in the year about this concept of critique. How do we do it? How can we do it better, both as a critic and as someone receiving criticism? And how can we do that not just as individuals, but also how can we do that within teams and within organizations? And so what you're going to hear in today's conversation is the start of Lilach's work on this at Visa, where she and her team created this data experiences framework. It's like 10 pages long. It's terrific. It gives you a lot of ways to think about generating critique and to think about all the different aspects of a data visualization that you might want to think about and talk about and try to improve upon. And I'll link to that in the show notes. There's a lot of books that we talk about uh, here as well, not just in data visualization, but also in the UX, UI fields. Uh, so I link to those as well. So I'd really encourage you to listen to today's conversation. Um, I'd encourage you to check out the blog post that I'm publishing along with today's conversation about my sort of view on data viz critique and what we as a field need to do and what we need to do better and where I think we need to focus our attention rather than just saying, oh, this, this graph is garbage, this graph is great, uh, what we need to do sort of to move the field forward. So I hope you'll listen to today's conversation. Hope you'll check that out. Hope you'll check out all the other resources on policyviz.com, on my YouTube channel, my Twitter feed, my Winnow feed, wherever you like to connect with me. And if you have comments or questions, please let me know. You can connect with me at all those different places. So here is today's conversation of the Policy Viz podcast with Leela Mannheim Florio. Hi Leela, good afternoon. Welcome Hi, to the John. show. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, this is this is really exciting because so for those who I mean no one really knows say for us, but like we've been emailing at length yeah. for like a while about a lot of different topics, primarily what we're gonna talk about today. So like this is very nice to actually like yes. see your face and chat in person. Definitely. Yeah. And definitely um, thank you for your patience and openness to my like diatribes. On <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, this is like, this is, this is the thing that is, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody has their own fears of feedback and rejection and criticism yeah. and something like you have to, for me, it's always been writing. Like that's always the thing. It's like, you know, you just have to learn to like embrace the feedback and the critique yeah, and that's totally. the only way to get better and and that of course is a great segue to what we're going to talk about today <laughs> um right. because you uh are working on a book 
on critique and feedback, which I'm really excited to talk about. But you've already done a bunch of that work. And I'm sure at least some of the listeners to the show are familiar with the data experiences. It's not really a checklist per se. Um, We call it a critique framework. A critique framework, yeah. Yeah. Um, From you and Frank Olavsky and and a couple of others, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd like to talk about that. Yeah, and uh, talk about the the book and how exciting that is that's coming out. So maybe we can just start, you can talk, just sort of give a little background and um, and how you ended up at Visa and what you do there on the, on the yeah. database side. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think I have, I'm one of those like, um, got into data viz through a bit of a unique um, pathway. So I uh, started, uh, initially studied art history. Um, and then a few years later, did my master's in library and information science with a focus on um, information seeking behavior, which mm-hmm. is really like a fancy, I guess, library term way of saying <laughs> it's how people, when you have something to research, how do you go about looking for information? Um, and then I really actually heavily got into while I was doing that degree, um, kind of how people deal with information overload. Mm-hmm. Um, and how people, how you kind of um, interact with uh, a lot of information and decide when you've found enough information to answer your question or mm-hmm. you know, um, complete your task. Um, and so uh, during kind of the last year of my program, I kind of a little bit accidentally discovered DataViz and Tableau. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, the the light from the heaven, like it was just such a crazy like mashup of everything that I loved and kind of learned or had been doing before right. that. Right. Um, I never really anticipated using anything I learned in my art history degree and you know <laughs> outside a museum. Right. Um, but I definitely I, you know I, I love how I can bring all of those things into DataViz. So yeah. um, you know I spent a few years kind of building dashboards and doing the BI thing. Um, and I think just as as I got further into it, and especially um, getting more involved in the Tableau community, I really started um, falling more in love with the teaching piece and mm. like how do how can I like enable others to improve their, especially the design piece of the mm-hmm. skill set. And so yeah, the opportunity um, opened up. I'd say it definitely a big part of it was the Tableau community because mm. otherwise I'm. I would have known Chris Martini, who's mm-hmm. uh, running that group. Um, but uh, it was a really good opportunity to work in a center of excellence, which is kind of like more the enabling piece. And the thing that really, really um, appealed to me, especially about the Visa team, is that um, it's a, we like to call it a small but mighty team. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, we're, you know, we're really, I think, partly because of the size of the team, um, but also kind of like the nature of working in a um, somewhat big company. Yeah. We really focus on just kind of like tool agnostic data visualization. So, I mean, I think that's just a really, a super interesting challenge, uh, a chance yeah. to be creative a little, you know, not just in making data viz, but like how do you um, kind of abstract out a little, but not too much. Right. Um, like what makes uh, something a good data experience, a good data mm-hmm. visualization. Right. Um, and really like helping people, because it's not just tools, right? It's like, it's even like the difference between, you know, BI folks who are making dashboards for other people to do interactive analysis or like uh, someone like a data scientist, like presenting right. results of a, an analysis. You know, these right. are very different types of like things that we're making, experiences right. that we're making. Yeah. And, um, and, and I yeah. assume both like internal, like data mm-hmm. scientists, internal to Visa, but also like communicating with banks and customers and the external piece. Yeah, there's, yeah, uh, Visa does a, a fair amount of like data products that are kind of sold to customers. Right. Um, right. Like banks. So we have our uh, VCC, which is Visa chart components. Um, okay. uh, fairly recently um, put out their open, open source. So definitely, um, I think, because we have some, um, like a fair amount of uh, the data products that are made are beyond just internal use. We kind of have the, a bit more of the opportunity to do something like um, open source, the the charts library. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. So 
I guess we can start with the data experiences framework. So I want to start with where or why that came about. Like this is a like a 10 page framework of doing a better job of providing feedback for all these different, you know, all these different types of visualizations that you just you just mentioned across I mean, I don't know how many it is. I want to say like 20 different domains. So I'm curious like was that sort of demand driven? within Visa or was it supply driven where like you and Chris and uh, people on the team were like, we definitely need to do this better. Uh, let's provide that. Let's create this, this experience or this, this framework. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So um, I think it is somewhat demand driven and then that we kind of got asked like within our org, like how can we improve the maturity of data products and mm -hmm. obviously that's part of our team's mission sure. um but how can we like um measure the whether a dashboard is good or not so good and um kind of how can we makes me be have some consistency in like saying um these are the things that should be addressed to like right. improve the um the quality of the experience but the great thing was that we had, we got a lot of flexibility in mm -hmm. terms of like how to do that. And yeah. I think especially because of our focus on being tool agnostic, um, that was kind of like the one of the challenges of like, what are things that are universal, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, still specific enough that like it can actually help a person yeah. to improve uh, visualization. Right. Um, and then I think the other thing is that like we really um, kind of, I, I think, Visa generally has a pretty high level of maturity, you know, at least compared to most companies for um, like the design maturity. So we have a whole team for the design system mm -hmm. and also like accessibility. So there's already the, like people are already used to doing a pretty thorough like accessibility gotcha. check, right. um, like for any product, not just right. product. And so we wanted to see how we can kind of like infuse more of like human-centered mm -hmm. design. So how can we, I think generally because we're data people, right? We think about the data. So when we design, we're thinking about like how can we best present this data rather yeah. than like what does a human need to do with the data first? And then, you know, what information can we help them, give them to do that? Yeah. Um, and I think similar with um with critique, a lot of times we focus on like the things in the data visualization, right? Like, do you have a good title or, you know, do you, I don't know, did you pick the right chart? Yeah. yeah. So it, these are all like very system mm -hmm. focused. Um, in our case, the system is also data. So mm -hmm. very data focused. Um, so we really wanted to um, do something that was, you know, instead of a checklist of going through like, these are, you know, did you do this and this and this? Yeah. Um, like being able to like look at a dashboard or a data viz and saying, is it like accomplishing these things? These goals. Um, and so I, it was great because I kind of, I was like, oh, I wonder if we could like take some of the concepts from heuristic evaluations, which are very well established in the UX field, mm -hmm. but like apply them more to a data product. And uh, this is where I really love the, this is where like our team is awesome because Chris was like, okay, what would you, what would it look like? Just run with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, uh, I looked at some of the kind of UX usability heuristics. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also been like, a, I'll say a, a good amount of work on how to apply some of those heuristics to uh, dashboards. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are like very domain focused. Like the one that I looked at that I cite in the framework um, is like the, I think it had to do specifically with a domain of like health information in a mm -hmm. hospital setting. Mm -hmm. uh, but still it's, a, you know, a good foundation to extract sure. from. So we kind of took that as a starting point and thought about, a lot of kind of mapping, um, very uh, information architecture kind of yeah. <laughs> brainstorming work. Yeah. I'd like, okay, if you take something like um, uh, visibility of system status is one where you want to like have filters or like really anything that 
a user interacts with, like to be for users to not have to work to mm-hmm. find that. Right, right. right. So filter so obviously or drop for, down or yeah. 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 So um, so for data viz, obviously it's a little like there's some unique things that that applies to. So that could apply to like, do you have legends that are easy right. to find or something like that? So it was a process of kind of like coming up with like, what would some questions be mm-hmm. specific to a, a data viz that would test for I see. Um, that heuristic? Um, I and then see. I expanding see. on that to like, what's a, maybe some additional heuristics that aren't yet you know, because we want to go beyond just usability. Right. Um, so, you know, one one that I know we added uh, was it kind of has a, a somewhat similar, uh, not necessarily heuristic, but more principle in UX of you want something to be useful. Mm-hmm. So usable is important, obviously, but useful as, right. as well. And so we basically called it valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and But we really tied it to, you know, like the... The, what you learn or what you're able to learn from using a product. Right. So like, does it answer the, the question that, or, you know, what kind of business value does it add to a user if they were to, you know, use a product to right. answer that question? So in the, like the UI UX field, a heuristic would be a button or a, toggle or a switch or a scroll just examples but but when you think about heuristics applied to data viz in addition to those pieces that you might have a filter or search bar and like a dashboard but in just any general data visualization a heuristic would be defined as all those elements on the chart space itself the legend the axis all those pieces would be a heuristic Kind of. So I think the heuristic is the kind of test. Um, and those elements are are what you look at to see if they have achieved that heuristic. Mm-hmm. So like um, preventing errors, let's say that's one of the common ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you would you could look at all the things, whether it's how filters work or um, a particular, like a label on... Mm-hmm. And an option on a filter. Right. Um, so, so I think what expands is we still could use a lot of those basic kind of overall tests of like, does the content on the page achieve in the capable, you know, the the functionality? Does it achieve these heuristics, which are kind of like outcome, the, gotcha. more like describing what's a good experience? Right. Um, but then you evaluate all the. And I think that's one of like the challenges, which is mm-hmm. so our critique framework came was um, we have a set of heuristics, and then we also have what we call design pillars. Mm-hmm. So those are really like the things that you, the actual objects on the page, or mm-hmm. it's like the what of of what you look at when you are you know critiquing a, a database. Right. The heuristics are kind of like goals, like principles of what we want to. It's kind of like almost how we describe if it's a good experience. Right, right. So, um, and I think the somewhat unique thing we did is that the original, like Nielsen's original 10 usability heuristics, we mm-hmm. took those and we had an additional six. Some were like a little bit invented. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I added one for limiting distraction, which isn't really, you know, a yeah. official heuristic anywhere. Um, but what we did is we, so we took those like individual heuristics and we said like, okay, what does, um, we kind of categorize them into five broader categories and the category is kind of more like an outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, I think it helps you. Um, so we call them u- human centered heuristics and outcomes mm-hmm. to really make the point of like, this is really um, describing what is a great in, um, data experience feel like for a human who's a human being, um, right. using using right. the product, right? So, like, if you think of something like efficiency, is mm-hmm. you know something we tend to think yeah. a ton about in data is um, we put that well, we call it productivity. So it's kind of framing it a little bit more a little bit differently, like, right? This is what it allows the the user to yeah. feel or to do, right. and then um, that rolls up to the um, focused and clear category mm-hmm. so you know if a if an 
data experience is focused and clear, it basically allows a user to focus on the most important information, like for completing their analysis. Mm -hmm. So the heuristics are really like describing it in even more detail. Like what does it mean to be focused and clear? What Mm -hmm. allows you to be like productive? Um, It still provides flexibility is another one. Um, And I think the other couple in there is limiting distraction and directing attention. It is really interesting the way you describe it because I, because the change of the word efficiency to productivity, I think is really smart because efficiency in a lot mm-hmm. of ways sort of implies speed. Like, mm-hmm. can I get the point of this graph as fast as possible, as opposed to how does this graph actually help me do my job or exactly. make a decision, yeah. which is different. Yeah. Um, that's, that's interesting. I want to ask is you, and then, and then I want, I do want to, I want to shift gears mm-hmm. and, and talk about how this sure. launched into the book. But you framed the the work on this as sort of tool agnostic. But lots of people are using lots of different tools, and this could be used for for any of those. And I'm curious whether you think that approach was limiting or it was freeing. Because I can imagine if you're like, let's build this for Tableau, you might, in some sense, say, well, then you should use this filter type for this type of data and this type of map for this type of data. Um, even though those can be applied to different things. So I'm just curious, like in yeah. retrospect, if someone said, let's make this for Tableau or for Excel or for JavaScript or Python or whatever, would you have been like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, that puts me in a fairly simple box, but also like yeah. too constraining. Um, so I think it probably just made the challenge really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I would yeah. say, um, I think it did help to move away from you know, like specific, like building, thinking about building stuff. Building, right. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think one thing is, yeah, obviously I think through a lot of database stuff is in Tableau terms, because yeah. what I'm just doing. So like when I think about thing, something like negative space, right? Yeah. A lot of times I, I'll think about it in terms of like, did you add padding to a container? Yeah. Granted that I think that can apply to, I mean, there, there's ways to phrase that for, you know, like CSS. Oh, sure, or, sure, sure. Right. You know, anything, uh, I mean, any tool will provide a way to create right. negative space with some sort of feature. Right. Um, but it does sort of put you a little bit in a box of, am I thinking the way someone who's, yeah. Yeah. Like the, just but the I way do, we think about it is sort of different when we're in our little tool. Yeah, box. yeah, totally. Um, I do think though that what helped is, at least on our team, um, yeah. and I think definitely in the design or team, we follow more of the design process of designing something outside the tool first, right? Yeah, like yeah. sketching and also then using you know a design tool like Figma or something. Right, right. And um, yeah, I know that's kind of like a little controversial, like, you know, like how much yeah. work do you want to put into, it's a skill to like abstract it out and yeah. not get too detailed into like, oh, what's the, what's like the realistic data distribution for this bar chart? I think that's right? really what like, the challenge is, right? Like, I don't know what my data look like until I make the chart with the data and I can go draw what I want it to look like. Yeah. But then I throw the data on top of it and it doesn't work because I have some huge outlier. And so I need to use a log scale or something. Right. But like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've very kindly sent me a couple chapters of of the book, which is, 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 I'm going to use this as a segue to look through. And like, there are some, there are a bunch in just the two chapters you sent me, there are a bunch of sketches while it is a little controversial. Cause I think there's just the data layer. I just, and I think a lot of people, and I put myself in this box are just like a little, uh, not embarrassed, but shy about, like sharing our sketches because like not like can't draw, but like it is such an important part of the of the process. Just to like to your point from earlier, to pull yourself away from the tool because yeah. like, and I I'm like a, a Tableau, not quite mm-hmm. a newbie, but like like half a step above a yeah. newbie. But like I'll think like oh I'm, I just made this thing this morning. I was like I want to make this thing in Tableau. It should be super easy, and it's not because I don't know how to do it right. And so. Um, so I think it's it's just those those different levels and those different steps, which brings us to your book coming out later this year. So, and I'm uh, increasingly thinking about this like new evolution of data viz books that like go beyond the 101. 
So we have the Bridget and Vidya book, Functional Aesthetics. We have Jen Christensen's book, Building Science Graphics. And I think your book is going to fit nicely into this new space. Um, so your book is Let's Talk About Data Visualization. And it's really focused on, I don't want to short shrift it, but it is kind of like the more in-depth version of what we've been talking about, this like framework. And it's really like pushing people into a, a more... I don't know, like a, a more concrete way to think about critique and, yeah. and, and feedback. And so before I like ping you with my questions, <laughs> so people can hear what I was struggling with, with the blog posts that I'm publishing today, along with this post, yeah. I, I just want to um, ask you to talk a little bit about the book and what you think it's going to provide people with who are, you know, in the data this field. Yeah, definitely. So first I'll just say, thank you for including me in that category. I'm definitely honored that some of those are um, some of my my new favorite books. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's exciting to see the field like moving towards that. I think yeah. often, you know, like in a, when I've spoken at a conference, I've noticed a lot of times design gets put into like the intro level stuff. Yeah. And it's really not like, um, I'll give you one, one book, an example. Um, one of my favorite books is A Primer on Visual uh, Literacy. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, was written actually in the late seventies, I think, and it's still you know, I I've reread it I think at least five times, and every time there's something else I take out of it, and mm. it's so it's a little crazy how how applicable it, it still is. Yeah. Um, but it's very much um, not a beginner book, mm -hmm. right? It's foundational. I would say the more you learn about design, the more you can go back and reread it and get right. a lot more out of it. Right. But it's nice to see kind of people, uh, more and more people like books being written on the kind of beyond the basics, yes. but it can still be very foundational. Mm -hmm. stuff, right. But, and I think there's always yeah. going to be, I mean, I'll say this as an author of one of those like 101 books, like <laughs> there'll always be a, a space for those because there's always going to be people coming to the field new right there you know mm -hmm. they haven't really thought about how to make a beast form chart or something like that right and so yeah. that's sort of a new experience but uh they like all of us are going to grow and going to make more and more and like what is the next steps and i think one of the other things that we don't see a ton about in the field maybe aside from ben jones's books and maybe andy kirk's mm -hmm. book is on teams and organizations and, and sort of like a larger group which i kind of feel like your book is really going to help people with is not just, you're not just a person on your own making mm -hmm. stuff and putting it out and you're being done. Yeah. You are working in a team, maybe for a boss, but we all work for a boss. You're, you're working for someone, even if you're not working for someone, you're a freelancer, like you are working for your audience, right? Or you're mm -hmm. working for your clients. So there's yeah. always more people involved. And I think that's where the literature really quite Definitely. isn't at now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of my um, my goal with the book. I would say I was very inspired by this um, book that's more in the general UX field called Discussing Design. Mm -hmm. um, and that highlighted some issues in how general UX field um, was kind of had room, let's say had room to grow in terms of uh, doing critiques better. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is, I, that's a good example of the fact that it is a, kind of growing pain mm. you know i think it was one of the ways the ux has matured as a design field yeah that's i mean there's many flavors of ux obviously right. yeah um, but so i you know i think that one of the main things that points that they make in that book that i'm really um kind of try to spend some time in my book expanding on what that might look like for mm -hmm. database is the idea that we pretty much agree in the design process. If you're following a better design process, you're separating it out, like defining the problem and coming up with solutions for the problem. Mm -hmm. And yet a lot of times uh, when we critique, we just jump right ahead to the solution. Right, right. right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it takes, I, I talk about it as like a skill and like muscles that you have to build because yeah. when you're so used to doing it that way, it takes um, like relearning the habit, right? You can, yeah. you can start out by, you know, maybe catching yourself that, oh, what I just said, um, really if you, you know, look out for like anything like 
I suggest, or mm-hmm. what if you did it this way? You know, um, those are all solutions and that, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so I think like starting to learn to um, kind of step back and say, okay, this is a solution that's coming to my mind that I'm saying, right. What's the problem that I'm trying to solve with it. And then kind yeah. of like, you know, learning to just kind of eventually wean yourself to at least talk about the problem first. This is something I guess I've kind of adjusted <laughs> as I've seen as of because I think um, I probably do get to do a lot more critique in my current role than I did in previous roles, at least yeah. beyond my own stuff. Um, that like especially the people that are on the beginning of their learning curve in the especially in the design concepts, um, you need to give them some solutions like. Yeah it's to, they don't really know how you can help them understand the problem that right. you're seeing, but you know, like they can't, if you say, you know, maybe the typography hierarchy is, is unclear and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it could really help your, your design be much more scannable and, you know, help people find, um, what they need in, in the page, if you improved your visual hierarchy, Yeah. but like, what does that mean to someone who's never look yeah. who doesn't know there's like you know yeah um, be, like best practices for like a type ramp and like mm-hmm. the fact that you know you're probably better off to get a, a little bit into detail you're yeah. probably better off like starting out in the middle and then going to kind of the, the edges of yeah you know, what's going to be the biggest and what's going to be the smallest and then right. kind of feeling like that's a very procedural you know it's just i don't know where i got taught that honestly <laughs> right you just um, pick it, it up along so the much, way right yeah, yeah but it makes it so much easier to yeah to right. do something like that yeah. right yeah. so um so i think it's both but uh i do think like that whole so i'm not saying i guess i'm not saying don't ever give someone like this is how you should do it yeah but just getting more um aware of kind of starting out with defining the problems you see yeah um i think also just generally learning to see more when we look mm-hmm. um that's another kind of big piece of and by um, that you mean living. like m- more of the detailed pieces of a visualization yeah so i mean i think um well some of that is we can take from um kind of art history and visual analysis mm-hmm. um being able to kind of identify um so let's say you start with identifying what's the focal point what what is your eye most attracted to and then kind of looking at what are the Kind of individual design decisions that are causing what are the elements on the page that are causing your eye to um, kind of be a, move in a certain way or be attracted yeah. to a, a certain part. Right. Um, so I mean, I can give an example. I think this is um, a kind of common example, mm-hmm. or I think it's it's a pretty good like specific application of this. Okay, so. Yeah. Um, so if you think about rule, the rules that we have, that we try to follow and, you know, whenever we see something in the wild, we're like, it doesn't follow this rule. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so one, I think fairly old, not old, old, but a few years old is the idea of like, how do you, well, so how do you decide on the size for a chart? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I believe it was Miguel, I think. Um they came up with a you know whole measure of the banking to forty five degrees. Yeah, 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 right. The banking. Right. Um, so that's a very like specific rule. That's really, but if you think about it, that's really like um, describing a solution. Right. Um, but a very like rule based one of like make sure it you know has the forty five degree angle. Yeah. Um, and so the problem with that obviously is there's going to be a lot of exceptions. Yes. Right. Um, doesn't work when it especially doesn't work when you're working with like a line chart that's mm-hmm. pretty flat. Right. 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 Um, and so like abstracting out a level from that would be, well, we want to size it in a way that to make sure that it's true to the data and it doesn't distort, you know, make the data look in a way that is not like true to the actual mm-hmm. true shape and meaning of the data. Yeah. Um, so so I think that's a like a, definitely a step in the right direction, but yeah. like, because I, I think it starts you thinking on like, what is like the problem that you're right. solving? You're trying right? to solve, like, right. Yeah, yeah, like you want to make sure that people aren't in, having like interpretation errors because right. it's like a weird shape. 
but then I think like there's even like further you can like when I say when I think about like um how do we um see more when we look at it so you could start thinking about also and I think this is where um it starts coming in that like we can't really look at just one chart mm -hmm. um so like one of the big things that I think you need to consider when you're deciding on the size is like what's the relative importance of mm -hmm. the particular like is it a is it the primary chart is it a secondary chart yeah. and that should really drive your how big you make one chart yeah. versus another chart but then um i think i think this is where my like art historian <laughs> internal art historian comes in is i always really try to consider um the wider frame so mm -hmm. in a interactive dashboard i think we can usually assume it's going to be the the shape of the page is going to be a product of your screen or whatever screen it was designed for mm -hmm. um but you're rarely going to have like a perfectly square sure page shape right yeah. you either like rectangular or long form even if it's long form you're only looking at it like one screen at a time mm -hmm. right? so i think a really important thing is let's say it's your primary chart um thinking about like what's the shape of the frame and is the shape um so basically aspect ratio mm -hmm. right? um is the shape of the chart echoing the shape of the frame mm. or contrasting to it mm -hmm. so like if i think if you have speaking in really broad terms if you have you know the a rectangular shape of the chart and it echoes the rectangular shape of the uh, the frame, the page mm -hmm. frame, then it's very, it's a kind of like static uh, design. Like mm -hmm. it's, um, it's like, uh, there's not a lot of movement in the design. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that could make sense, but then just kind of like thinking about if you make something and maybe it's a chart, maybe it's something else. Like if you make, like, if you think about maybe like a menu, that's a tall shape that has a kind of vertical yeah. That vertical movement. Right. Yeah. Like if yeah. you have, you know, one chart that's very wide, that could lead the eye, you know, left to right. Right. But that could also depend on other, you know, what are the shapes of the other charts in there? And are yeah. they like competing with the mm -hmm. kind of shape that the, you know, your main chart is creating against the frame? So right. things like that. They're yeah. just very, like, it, it's really visual analysis, which, it is, but it's also, I mean, one of the things that we can talk about this in, in a second, because I think it leads back to the the post that I published today that we, that you helped me with. I mean, I, I think the other piece of it is recognizing that different creators have different goals, right? When I think about a columnist at the time to the post, mm -hmm. you know, their, their goal is to get eyes on the page, right? That's what matters. Whereas someone working inside visa or someone who's you know providing a memo to the whoever their boss their goals are just different you are creating something for your colleague at visa you know they're going to read it the goal isn't to get people to click on it because he like yeah. the goal is to make a decision or, or as you mentioned earlier right to increase productivity as opposed to efficiency which i I'm, i've started yeah. that on my notes <laughs> I, I just think that's really smart i mean there's been for a long time this discussion that sort of ebbs and flows on impact and how do you measure impact and can you even measure impact? And I think the efficiency thing sort of goes hand in hand. I think the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is, is speed. It's one of the things that I just like, there's this like obsession with, do I get the message of the graph just like as fast yeah. as possible as if that should be a metric. I, so I guess the sort of next question I wanna ask is when you see people doing critique today, um, and we'll we'll keep it sort of in the Twitter world. So we'll, like public yeah. critique, not within and not within teams, but in the public sphere. What do you think is like the thing most people are doing the most wrong? Like, is there mm -hmm. a is there a aspect of critique generally that you think people are just like missing the point or they're yeah. critiquing the wrong yeah. thing? So like, how long do you have? <laughs> just, I mean, obviously, yeah, I'm right. writing a book about this because right, I'm writing a book about it, right? Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> I think you did hit on something that's really important: is there is a big difference between um, critiquing 
like critiquing someone's work and mm -hmm. like critiquing work with someone. Uh, right? Yeah. And really the critique that I do on a regular basis at, at work and that sometimes I've, I've also done in with public work, um, like with people I collaborated with, is the second, and it, it's really a conversation. Mm -hmm. right? You know, sometimes people make themselves available and you can ask yeah. kind of clarifying questions. But really, if you're doing the, the second kind where you get to have the, the conversation with mm -hmm. someone, and that's, um, that's why I called my book, Let's Talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you should start, that should always start with just kind of like when we uh, start on a on developing a data visualization, we're trying to discover what and ask questions of like mm -hmm. what they need. It's a bit similar. You're trying, but you're trying to like discover what is what was the creator's goals and yeah. constraints, and you know, really then like really trying to understand what are the choices they made with the mm -hmm. current design, kind of how those work or don't work. Right. Um, for what they're trying to do. And that's really, you do that before you go into like, more of like evaluating right, evaluating like, what you oh, think isn't working, right? right. Like you right. have to really understand, seek to understand yeah. what it is, you know, what the current design is. I think we yeah. probably don't do enough of that. Yeah. Um, but saying that, I mean, I think there's definitely like room for the, the other kind of public yeah. or more you don't get a chance to. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe talk to the creator um but just kind of recognizing that's a slightly different thing it's almost mm -hmm. like criticism is i don't know if that's what they, you know like if you think about art history field like yeah there's critics that go sure. and look at a artwork and write up right. what they think of it um but that's almost like a different goal like right so like if you're having more of a conversation with someone your goal is to help them figure out how to improve yeah their data visualization mm -hmm. um, or you could be you know trying to kind of evaluate your own work but your goal is to figure out what's not working and how to yeah. maybe make it better right um, and to help other I, people do better right when they're yeah right yeah. yeah i think the um the one thing that really is a, a bit of a i'd say a pet peeve like the thing that i i feel like is starting off things a little wrong is when someone posts um all feedback welcome <laughs> um yeah and i'll be honest i i fall into that um yeah. sometimes i still have to catch myself but so i think and i think that's one of the things that i i really loved about the discussing design book they brought mm -hmm. up that really it's a two-way street so if you're not getting useful feedback like you know if if you're um the feedback you're getting is all like you need to make this button bigger mm -hmm. or brighter um some of that might be coming from the like you're not asking for the for the feedback that you you know it's kind of like on the person asking for the feedback. Right. Now obviously, critique on Twitter doesn't usually involve. Yeah, well, there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I have a whole chapter devoted to that. Is like, yeah, yeah. How, how can you um, articulate and describe what is the feedback that you're looking for? You're looking for. So, What's the feedback you're not looking for? Right, right, right. I don't care about the size of the buttons or the color of the buttons. Yeah. I know I need to fix that. But like, so instead of all feedback welcome, do you have like a good pithy phrase for people to like, you know, like yeah. this is like the hook. So they can, you know, they have to wait a few months till the book comes out. But like, do you have that phrase in mind mm -hmm. for people? I probably should have a good pithy phrase. <laughs> I think I, I mean, to, but I think yeah. your point is maybe there isn't a good pithy phrase because yeah. sometimes maybe you do want to know like are the buttons in the right spot versus yeah. the colors of the line chart because I can't yeah. control that because this is what our company follows mm -hmm. and it's a red line and that can't be changed, but the button is the button in the right spot. So maybe there yeah. isn't a phrase and it's just you yeah. need to be more focused in your. So soliciting? I think, yeah, so what I, and obviously this is tougher to do in <laughs> Twitter. Like I think what, yeah, we've, yeah, done, what we've done, what we've done at Visa, and I've seen like something similar in um, the DVS channel on Critique, mm -hmm. is we have like a set of like three questions um, that when you come in and ask for Critique, you kind of fill out ahead of time mm -hmm. to explain to people what type of feedback you're looking for. Yeah. Um, 
in the book, I kind of outlined like that there's like two main questions that you as a creator should kind of um, answer to help people understand what uh, is the type of feedback you want. Yeah. Um, the first is just kind of your, what's your goals and objectives to whatever level of detail you want to get. Yeah. Um, like what is a design trying to achieve? And the second is what are the elements that you want to um, have evaluated? Mm-hmm. So I think it can be helpful to, to kind of think about it in terms of, um, I use design layers in the book. Yeah. So, um, you know, is it uh, like something to do with the information architecture or is it the, the thing that we use, usually tend to fix on, to focus on, which is the chart design. So is it the information visualization layer? Right. Um, so I do, I guess, give some tools for describing what parts gotcha. of the information product you want like you want to get feedback on right and it may be like a specific part of it right like let's say you you want help with the interactions Mm -hmm. uh, interaction layer so like a really broad question would be how well does the interactive features that i have how well does that support the like analytical flow or like Mm -hmm. the questions that i want to enable people to use right the broadens make you more productive yes make you more efficient and make you more productive. Yes. yes but um or do they give you like interesting, actionable answers, yeah, right. right? Like a lot of times you know, the classic example is having a million filters. Right, right. <laughs> they don't really you help you come to new, yeah. you know, new answers. Um, right. Yeah, but the other one would be like, you know, maybe like, do I have clear feedback where like it's clear that when you um, interact with some feature, mm-hmm. it's clear what happened. Yeah. Right. So that's right. like a more a more specific one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or even like, is this button difficult to find? Right, right, right. right. Um, Are the outcomes obvious? Is what I have to do yeah. obvious? Right, yeah. So I think in the short term, before the book comes out, mm-hmm. and you have all these checklists. By the way, everybody, for those of you listening, watching, like the checklists. I don't want to call them checklists because they're not really checklists. They are frameworks and they are cues are amazing. They are going to be super oh, helpful to you. you. So be ready. Um, but I think there's a good, in the meantime, till the book comes out, a good lesson for folks to keep in mind. Like when you are asking for feedback, be specific and be purposeful so that you can, you know, get the feedback that you want. And because we've already been talking for an hour, I want to, I want to wrap up, but I, but I think also as the critic, you know, to be a little bit more purposeful and thoughtful. And I, I like this idea of critiquing someone's work versus critiquing with someone are two very different approaches. So, um, so Lila, right. thank you so much. I mean, we could keep going, but you know, at some point people are gonna like they're gonna hit like you know two times speed. And okay. uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll just ask something quick because I really yeah. uh, I know this kind of started a big Twitter conversation, but I think it really I still think it really crystallizes what I guess my book tries to do and mm-hmm. what the critique framework also tries to do. Yeah. Um it was um by let me see, I um I wrote it down. Um, it was by Dr. Kat Hicks, and she said, mm-hmm. um, we try to make, often we try to make complex problems easy um, rather than making it easier to work on complex problems. Mm. So I think if there's any one thing that I think we can like push us forward in how mm-hmm. we critique, is it like we do need to think a little deeper. Like I think mm-hmm. we've done some initial really, we have a lot of really great work on, you know, very specific rules that kind of cover the easier things um but and like i totally get like the instinct to want just a rule like a do and a don't right um but it really is about like how to think a little deeper about all these things and so i do think there's space for tools like i hope the critique framework is the beginning of that yeah more tools like yeah that help you to think through some of those yeah deeper things without giving you like a set of simple yes, no answers. Right. I mean, I think that's the challenge with the checklist where there's a box where it's like you check Mm -hmm. a box, check a box, check a box, you know, because as you said, sometimes they don't apply. And some things I would say are more important than other things. Like, I mean, I I don't know, like Mm -hmm. the integrity of the data is more important than like the font size of your title. Right. Right. Um, 
I guess if I had to come up with that, it's not a pithy statement per se, but I think the message here is to think more deeply. I think on both sides is what I'm hearing from you, right? On the, as a critic, to think more deeply about what you are critiquing and as the person being critiqued or soliciting critique, be more thoughtful about what you want people to say and maybe how you respond even to those what I kind of call the hit and run or drive-by critiques. It's like, this is garbage. And you're like, maybe you respond in kind of a different way to be like, well, I know that you don't like the colors, but like, that's the branded colors. And that's what I use, you know, but does the graph type, like, is that useful? So I like that. My wife would call it a, um, a compliment sandwich. So you give a compliment (laughs) and then some critique and another compliment at the end. Um, So, okay. So, the book comes out when, like in the fall of this year, summer? Um, I'm not sure. That I think that is uh, the publishing world of the mystery of publishing world. Yes. Right. Okay. But in the meantime, people can find you where? On Twitter? Um, sure. They can find me on Twitter. Right. Um, they can, I have my uh, regular handle where I will be honest, I tweet about probably politics as much as data is. Um, <laughs> but um, you can also, for updates and sneak peeks for the book, uh, yeah. you can follow uh, data viz crit. Okay, great. That's great. I'll put all this and links to everything that we talked about on the show notes so people can check it out because um, mm-hmm. there's a lot here and a lot for people to think about and hopefully do better individuals and as teams. So this is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, taking time thank out you. of your day. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, John. Thank you. And thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you'll start to think a little bit more in depth, a little bit more creatively, a little bit more uh, with sophistication and purpose about your efforts in critiquing and receiving critique in your and others' data visualizations. Be sure to check out all the links on the show notes. I've got links to all these different checklists and frameworks that we talked about in the interview and links to all the books that we talked about as well. There's some great new books out on the market and I hope you'll check them out. And of course, don't forget to read the blog post that is up at policybiz.com where you can sort of get my take on data biz critique. So until next time, this has been the Policy Biz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A whole team helps bring you the Policy Viz podcast. Intro and outro music is provided by the NRIs, a band based here in Northern Virginia. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsky Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. But if you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Winnow app, PayPal page, or Patreon page, all linked and available at policyviz.com.